It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Football. I think this is my debut on Purple Daily. Is this your first we launched one ever? a couple months ago. Yeah. Wow. Unless I blacked well, out for one of them. Welcome aboard. I've uh, I've helped you guys produce behind the scenes, yeah. but I don't think I've ever actually sat uh, in on Purple Daily. Mackie and Judd. A lot of football. Of Purple Can you Daily. handle all the football? There's Can you handle the copious amounts? Football, yeah! Football! Football! Certainly hope so. All right, well, we'll find out. We have to Next run hour. another prominent retired player through the Judd's Rules of Retirement later on in the show. Uh, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus to help us quantify if the Vikings are on the right strategy this offseason. But uh, in honor of Marcus Sherrill's officially parting ways with the Vikings late last week, uh, I, I'd like to run you guys through an impromptu pecking order. I, I have a pecking order here, of, and I came up with eight. Okay. The eight most underappreciated Vikings players. I did get of the to last. ten. Okay, it's debatable, but I got to ten. I was I was kind of going back and forth between underappreciated versus um, uh, underrated because there's kind of a fine line I, between the two. I straddled that that line myself, and at times I think I crossed it. Okay, but I'm comfortable with it. Well, let me throw out my list. All right, Start and you All guys, right. Manny Hill is in the house. You guys, mm-hmm. tell me what you think about this list, okay? And and you could you could maybe. You, you could split some hairs with who should be number one here for me, but here's how I rank them. Number eight, going going up to number one. Jarius Wright. I wouldn't have said that two years ago about Jarius Wright, but after watching what happened with the third wide receiver situation last year, a guy who can just catch a pass when you need it on third and seven, underappreciated Jarius Wright. When he left, it was like, oh, yeah, whatever. Cool. Right. Like Jarius Wright's going to go sign with the Titans or whoever he signed with. Right. And now it's kind of like... We have finally found the positive of Laquan Treadwell. He makes you appreciate Jerry's right. right. (laughs) Right. That's a positive. So Jerry's right is number number eight on the list. Number seven, Teddy Bridgewater. And I put him on this list of underappreciated Vikings because, in in part, I don't think people fully even underappreciate him properly. He was really good on third down. He was really good in the fourth quarter slash second half of games. And he was a quarterback that was beloved by not only the fans, but people in the locker room. Look how many players are flocking to the Saints right now. Like Viking, former Vikings. And the Teddy Exodus. So I think having a guy in that position that people gravitate toward in the locker room and that coaches rave about, a guy who's a born leader, um, It's if, if you don't already 
sort of long for that. I think at some point when he becomes a starter and stays healthy, it's going to be even even worse. So Teddy Bridgewater. All right. Number seven. Matt Burke is number six on my list. Really? On the underappreciated Vikings list. Okay, why? I say that because he was a franchise center for more than a decade with the Vikings. Or about a, it was about 10 years, I All guess. Right. He helped quarterbacks get better. I think a great center can help quarterbacks get better. And when he left, it was, I just remember when he left, it was like, oh, like Vikings always have. It's next guy up. Just find another undrafted guy or well, John Sullivan. And, and John Sullivan was good for a while. But I think we've, we've maybe gotten to the point where we don't properly appreciate a 10-year leader and pro bowler in a position like that, especially with the current state of the offensive line. O-line, to me, is very difficult because often a lot of those guys aren't appreciated properly because you're just like, if they're good, you just take them for granted. And then if they're not good, you're like, oh, you got to replace them all. They're terrible. So on my list, I actually stayed away from that position group just because to me, it's hard to quantify who's appreciated unless the guy is a Hall of Fame slam dunk type player and who's not appreciated. So I almost put Steve Hutchinson on the list, but he's fairly properly appreciated, appreciated, right? I agree with that. Okay. All right, you're going to hate this one. It's a a non- Burke surprised me a little bit, but- Keep going. Well, the next one's a non-player. Number five, it's Brad, it's Brad Childress I put on my list of oh, underappreciated that's... Vikings. <laughs> well, it's 12.04, and your time on this show is already an abject failure. So uh, let's. Can we bring Rami back? Can we get Rami on the phone? Where's Collar? Getting his taxes done. Which You're I need stuck to get with done me too, right now. Which I need to get done too, by the way. It's, I'm it's pushing the tax thing. I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> so, all right, here's you and I have had this out before, but uh, yeah. but, but I feel like you did, did this partially to troll me a little bit. Brad okay. Childress, in his five years as Vikings head coach, well, four and a half, two division titles, yep. an NFC Championship game, and even with the disastrous 2010, in which I think they were three and seven when he got fired. Still finished with a 39 and 35 record as head coach of the Vikings. So he was an above 500 coach. And if you were to just forget about that last year, which is the reason why he got fired, yeah. again, you can't, his record would be closer to 10 games above 500. So he's, he's above 500, NFC Championship game, two division titles. I'm not saying he's Bud Grant. I'm saying he's underappreciated. Thus, he's on my list. Um, uh, um, or, uh, <laughs> Even he's surprised. Even Chili's surprised by that selection. He's going to have a vodka the size of my head after that. All right, number four on the list, underappreciated Vikings. Yes. Hat tip, Marcus Sherrills. This is a guy who played the better part of a decade in purple, was a starting running back, a backup running back, a pass catcher, a third down blocker. You put him on special teams, he returned kicks. Mo Williams. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, having a I didn't put him on, but that's a good one. A safety Definitely. blanket who can play in multiple phases, a guy that you can just put out there and Absolutely. you don't have to worry about him. He's going to show up to camp, etc. Mo Williams on the list. Uh, number three is Jim Kleinsasser, the winner of our grittiest Minnesota athlete bracket a few weeks ago. Yep. Again, thirteen years. Like, he was just always around. He was always in camp. Oh, he was, and he is good. He, was like he did solid. a lot of really solid things, a lot of good things. So. But uh, playing 13 years is a rarity in the yeah. NFL. And I think he caught passes, he blocked, but I think the fact that you couldn't really quantify his value as much, like he was a road grader. If, if a run was sprung free for 50 yards, he would never really get the credit unless offensive lineman color commentator would go and like, well, watch this block by Jimmy Kleinsasser. Yeah. Yeah, John right? Madden, yep. Uh, so Jim Kleinsasser, uh, underappreciated. Yep. Number two, Ryan Longwell. My guy. Appreciation has grown over the past few years as kickers have come <laughs> through here and failed. Because he can make a kick. 
So Ryan Longwell, <laughs> in only six years with the Vikings, missed only five kicks under 40 yards. That's pretty amazing. So so maybe one time a year he'd shank a 38-yarder or something, and never did he miss a kick with the Vikings under 30 yards, from what I saw. All he right. might have missed one extra point in there. And obviously, if you could get someone who is as consistent as he is with this team right now, that's you'd why take they paid him back then. Yeah, because they finally said we are sick and tired of guys that aren't consistent. So that one makes sense. And the number one player on my most underappreciated Vikings list is a guy that has definitely received accolades, and he's he was maybe not the face of a Vikings defense, but I, I still don't think he was appreciated enough because he didn't rack up the sack stats and some of the other numbers. Kevin Williams. Where people recognize how good he was, but he was way better and way more effective than people even give credit to. So Kevin Williams, interesting, yeah, because internally he was absolutely loved and and he was fantastic. So internally they they knew exactly. But again, that's the interior of of the defensive line is difficult because I think a lot of fans, if you're good there, are like, of course he's good. Now if you're an end and get sacks, that's a sexy stat, right? But if you are, if you're pushing things in in the middle of the line, people are like, well, of, of course, that's his job. And then you get someone who's bad or too thin, perhaps, yeah. and gets beat up, and you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's not very good. So they have something on profootballreference.com called approximate value. I don't even know how they come up with this, but it's essentially, it's a singular number that allows you to rank the greatest players in an era or in history. And according to whatever this measurement is, Kevin Williams is the 11th best Viking of all time, ahead of Randy Moss, ahead of Adrian Peterson, ahead of Matt Blair, Chuck Foreman, uh, Wally Hildenberg. Who are the top 10? Carl Eller, Fran Tarkenton, Jim Marshall, Alan Page, Mick Tinglehoff, Randall McDaniel, Ron Yeri, Chris Carter, Paul Krause, John Randall, Kevin Williams. Interesting. And then Chris Dolman is right after him. Okay. So he's, he's legitimately one of the greatest Vikings of all time. I'm not sure if he's talked about in the same light as you would talk about a Paul Krause or and maybe some of it's because some of those guys went to multiple Super Bowls. Right. But, yeah, probably not. Right. But that's my list. All right. Of uh, underappreciated Vikings players. That's a good one. Do you want, do you want mine next? Why don't you... Uh, what time are we doing Eric Eager? Uh, 1220. We got time for Judd's list and my list, I think. And we're back. Let's fire it back up. <laughs> this is a rough edition of Purple Daily right now. We're reading rough. We're going through the rookie. The rookie struggling with the music. <laughs> Just kidding you. All right. Here's my list. I've got 10. Number 10, the guy that told Adrian Peterson in Peterson's rookie season, don't worry, just follow me. He only spent two years here. Tony Richardson, mm, fullback, okay. right. but the consummate professional. Basically, he saw Peterson play, and he's like, you are unbelievably talented, and you're not that bright. So wherever I go, you go. And and then Adrian Peterson discovered throughout that time period how much he hated playing with fullbacks. And do you remember then who replaced? <laughs> do you remember who replaced our guy, T. Rich, when he went to the Jets because the Vikings wouldn't pay him because they decided that this guy would be a Thomas better... to pay? Yes. Oh, God. Yes, the man that stared holes to us at press conferences and said, what's that question again? He was like... Coming off I a major foot injury, day, yeah, in he, Mankato. I, re- I remember standing next to you and Chip at a practice one time, and and Thomas DePay had been missing time with a foot injury, and I think it was Chip that asked the question, like, "Hey, uh, so how's your foot doing? What's uh, yeah. what's going on with your foot?" And Thomas DePay goes, "What are you talking about?" Chip's like, "Oh, uh, your your foot injury." Co- coach said uh, that you're and Chip covered him in college, yeah. so like Chip knew him. And Thomas tilted his head and he goes, 
what foot injury? Yeah. Just like, well, not playful, but just like stares a hole through the back. And we're like, okay, we're going to go to lunch. <laughs> we're going to go down the street. Thanks for chiming in. I went to high school with Thomas DePay. Did you? Oh. St. Paul Johnson, yeah. His senior year was my freshman year. Was Thomas uh, or- ornery in high school? No, he was... He was- I heard he was a nice guy, but this was yeah, really weird. got along with him pretty good, okay. as far as I remember. Well, Phil and I were like, okay, well, we won't ask you any more questions. <laughs> Don't punch me, please. You're okay. a fullback. <laughs> That's okay. It's not that important. Not worth our, our health. Number nine on, on my list, a safety who actually uh, passed away of Lou Gehrig's disease at the age of 42 in 2014. Orlando Thomas played no. for the Vikings from 95 to 2001. He played in 98 games and had 22 picks. And, and I don't think... He was ever fully appreciated. Oh, he was that he was an incredibly yeah. reliable, solid player. I feel like there weren't a lot of ball hawkers on some of those Vikings defenses. And Robert from the Griffith 90s. played by him and was really good too. Yeah, but or- Orlando Thomas did not get a lot of attention and was a very good player. Number eight on my list. Uh, I go back to back special teams aces here. 2005 to 2010, he was a linebacker, but he didn't play the position much, but he was great on special teams. Heath Farwell. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Heath Farwell was not appreciated and brought a ton. And it's hard now. There's really not there's not as many special teams aces anymore because there's just, kickoffs aren't as prevalent yes. and or kickoff returns. Heath I got the say. big running start and would demolish you. Yeah. Which you can't do now. Number seven on my list. He was a wide receiver from ninety-four to two thousand. And once played a game with a broken jaw, special teams specialist, Chris Walsh. Okay. Didn't catch many passes, but he was a, a kamikaze. Back to your point on when you could be a kamikaze. Like you got to be on special you a couple screws loose if oh, you're just most, a kamikaze on kickoffs, right? Well, he played a game with a broken jaw. Think about that. That's aggressive. Think about playing football. When, when your job is basically to throw your body at people and get hurt, yeah. your jaw's broken, and you're like, ah, screw it, I'll just play. Was it against the Cardinals that he had that big hit, that, that cut back like... block and just crushed somebody? I on, think a, that's on a, He right. was blocking somebody on a pass and just but, I mean, this, this, destroyed a guy. This was back before the concussion tests were important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is before we're like, I think people's brains shouldn't be scrambled. It's like smell, smelling salt and can you? am I holding my hand up in front of your face or not? Just... <laughs> Pick a number one through five. Number six on my list played for the Vikings. Defensive tackle from 87 to 94. Played by by Johnny Randall. This man only made, and I forgot this, two Pro Bowls in 14 years. Hank Thomas. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. 1990, yeah. 100 in, in that season, 109 tackles and eight and a half sacks and did not make the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Also one of the great underrated Tecmo Super Bowl players of yeah. all time, too. Really? He could just sneak right in through the He's offensive really line good and player. sack the quarterback 10 times in a game. Really good yeah. player. Number five on my list, since this list is in honor of his accomplishments, I put him halfway through, Marcus Sherrills. Eight years returning punts for this team. He lost two fumbles. Now, he yeah. fumbled eight times. But he fell on the ball so six got, times. So he got lucky is what you're saying. I'm just kidding. I love Marcus. It, it, it's variance. <laughs> Number four on my list, the first of the forgotten purple, or the second, I should say, of the forgotten purple people eaters, Doug Sutherland. Wow. Mm. Defensive tackle, yeah. 71 to 81. We always mention Eller, Page, and Marshall, right? Sutherland is not yeah. mentioned, nor... Now, number three is mentioned more, and this guy played defensive tackle for the Vikings from 65 to 74. He's mentioned more, but it's still not necessarily in the same breath. Gary Larson. Gary Larson, yeah. So the guys that filled out, you know, it's Eller, Page, Marshall, and uh, then it was... And then it was... So Larson and Sutherland are three and four on my list. 
Number two, this one's debatable, but he got completely, or he got mostly forgotten in 98, and I don't know if that's fair, provided his accomplishments for this team. Wide receiver, 91 to 99 in 2001, Jake Reed. You know, it's, I, had, I had written down Jake Reed after my list, thinking Jake Reed should have been top three. So you're 100% right. Chris Carter, yep. Chris Carter and Jake Reed went over 1,000 yards receiving in four consecutive years from 94 to 97, and then Moss came. But Reed, yeah. as a Viking, 33 touchdowns, 6,433 receiving yards. I mean, it's fair to say before Randy Moss came along, the Vikings had one of the best wide receiver duos yes, in the NFL. they did. And and Warren Moon had that season in which he threw for 30 touchdown passes or something ridiculous in mm-hmm. 4,000 yards, and a lot of that 95. was Jake Reed. Yeah, Jake Reed in 1996 had 1,300 yards receiving for the Vikings. Exactly. So that's a, that's a great one. And number one on my list, I believe, Phil Mackey, you had at number three on your list, Jim Kleinsosser. Okay. It was, yeah. and if, I, if I'm not mistaken on, on this, he was one of, if not the first tight end to switch to sort of that H-back role. I mean, this guy for 13 years did everything nobody wants wants to do necessarily and was successful. So Kleinsosser is my number one. Manny Hill. There it is. All right, I'll go through this pretty quickly. Uh, number 10, uh, Phil had him on his list, Jarius Wright. Number 9, I actually put Robert Griffith on the list uh, because Robert Griffith was really, really good in the late 90s. And I think he made one Pro Bowl in like 2000, I think. But he I was like, he was like multi-time very fair. all pro, yep. like first team all pro, but like only made one Pro Bowl, which is, you know, which we tells know you how much. It, yeah. Um, number 8, David Palmer. Right. Punt returner. Sneaky. I like this one. Yeah. Punt returner. Really good guy. Uh, really good. NFL 95 from Sega Sports, the <laughs> yeah. video game. Yeah. David Palmer was lethal. He was. Lethal. Put him in today's game, and he would be a superstar. Yeah. You would sub in David Palmer as your starting running back because yep. he was so good. Yep. Like take Robert Smith or <laughs> is it Terry Allen, maybe. Terry, Terry Allen. Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Love it. All right. Number seven, Jarek McKinnon. Yeah. And, and I... I think he's so underappreciated that I think if he came back to the Vikings now, he would be welcomed back with more than warm arms. I mean, he was. Uh, and we were about really to see reliable. him unleashed if he hadn't torn up his knee last year, right? He was going to be unleashed with San Francisco and maybe catch 70 passes or whatever his top end is. And now, is it him and Tevin Coleman now? The, the Niners they've got Tevin three. Coleman? They've got three guys. And, and the rumor when they signed Tevin Coleman was that they were going to cut McKinnon. But I don't think oh. that's been done yet. Maybe the Vikings. But they have I three get back? backs now. Okay. Uh, number six, I had Jake Reed on the list. Uh, number five, I had Ryan Longwell. Yeah. Number four, B. Rob, Brian Robinson. Okay. B. Rob was really good for for a long time, so definitely uh, definitely appreciate him. Uh, number two is uh, I had to play some sound for this because it's just it's too good. The handoff to Hoard. That could take a little steam. Offensive unit as Leroy Hoard down the sideline is going to get into the end zone. And what a run by Leroy Hoard. That's two weeks in a row he's done almost the same thing. Yeah, but he's going to have to take that quote back. Says if you need one yard, I'll get you three. If you need five, I'll get you three. <laughs> but he's been doing a heck of a lot more than that. You, get, you need three, you need five, I'll get you 50. Yeah, Leroy Hoard. <laughs> and then uh, number two on my list, David Dixon. Right guard for uh, for a number of years, and you know a lot of big names on that offensive line in the '90s for the Vikings. You had Todd Stucy and Randall McDaniel, Hall of Fla- Hall of Famer Jeff Christie, and everything, and the late Corey Stringer. But David Dixon was pretty good too. Yeah, in that right guard spot. 
And uh, number one on my list, Chester Taylor. Wow. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. 1,200 yard back in once in his first season here, and then Adrian came in. and But Chester was still really reliable as like a third down pass catching back yeah. when Adrian wasn't reliable to hang on yeah. to the football I mean, in, many, in many instances. Chester Taylor, if, if this is the underappreciation list of Vikings, right? Chester Taylor was the guy that... Hey, if it's a crucial situation and it's third down, which one of these two guys do you want on the field? And oftentimes it was Chester Taylor and not Adrian Peterson. Yeah. Spoke volumes could... about both, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Didn't he once throw a chair at Bryant McKinney in the locker room or no, something? No, he was got in a fight with um, Erasmus James and Chester, and Bryant were really good friends. And the chair, he either, Chester went to swing the chair and it hit Bryant, or it was flying and, and hit Bryant. But because they, they were such good friends, he didn't essentially kill Chester Taylor. Okay. So he's like, thank God it hit my friend. Okay. Because Bryant got cut. And he's like, no, but it's cool. But I I believe he had got, I think Chester and Erasmus James, I know you're shocked by that news, got in a fight. Yeah. (laughs) I know know you would never, Erasmus loved football so much, you're saying, how could he get in a fight with a teammate? More passion than either one of those guys showed on a football field for... Uh, This might be true. Well, I meant McKinney, not yeah, Chester not Taylor. Yeah, not Chester Taylor, yeah. yeah. No, I got it. So so if you want to chime in, we're going to bring Eric Eager on from Pro Football Focus next to uh, talk Vikings and offseason and, and project ahead. But you can tweet at us, at Jay Zolgad, at Manny Hill 84 at Phil Mackey, or the at Score North account. Are we missing anybody? Underappreciated Vikings. And this came about with Marcus Sherrill's uh, saying goodbye after eight years as a Vikings punt returner. It's a Mackie and Judd edition of Purple Daily today on the all-new Score North and scorenorth.com. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Football. All right. It's a Mackie and Judd edition of Purple Daily here. We got Manny in the house. Uh, Rami's back tomorrow. In fact, Rami's going to go to Target Field tomorrow and do a, a food tour. Rami is like a sneaky great. You're cook. forcing him to do that? No, he's. Oh, that poor guy. Yeah, he's all in on it. I that. hope he's going to be okay with it. Yeah, he might He might gorge himself and <laughs> somebody might have to check on him. Um, but it's Purple Daily on the all new Score North and scorenorth.com. It's the only daily Viking show in the Twin Cities, and you can find it on AM 1500 and. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're finding it on one of these platforms uh, right now, live.scorenorth.com, and also streaming video form on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, also on Twitch. And let's bring in our friend here, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, and uh, also on occasion the Pro Football Focus podcast as well. And we'd love to – first of all, Eric, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. And uh, we'd, yeah, we'd love to ask you just a couple questions about – you guys had uh, uh, Fred Godelli, the executive producer of Sunday Night Football, on the PFF podcast the other day, and I'd love to just know, like, what are one or two interesting tidbits that you uncovered, and uh, and and you can share with the audience about what I think is the best primetime football production of the last ten years. I thought one of the most interesting tidbits from Fred was how sort of like luck played into his. Uh, you know, path to that job because, it, you know, he talked about how he was a baseball fan more than a football fan. And when ESPN um, got the right to Sunday night football and Sunday night baseball, he got bumped off of Sunday night baseball and it really like broke him up a little bit. And ultimately he got sort of stuck on Sunday night football, which eventually led to his spot on Monday night football, which eventually led to his spot on Sunday night football. So he was sort of talking about how, 
it was such a happy accident that he ended up getting to produce like sort of the the most watched television show on you know in U.S. television. <laughs> Not bad. Go go from a sport like right. baseball where you're like this is great. Yeah. No, it's really slow and doesn't <laughs> move fast enough. Uh, did did he go in, into or talk about what they try and do to make themselves different too? Because it does seem it it seems like the the formula that they concocted at ESPN initially. That there are are some special things there. Did did he go into into how they try and make a game different from say a Fox or or other networks? Yeah, I think it's just like the relentless you know pursuit of new information, right? So Chris Collinsworth, as many of you know, is the majority owner of Pro Football Focus. He's the color commentator, and essentially, like you know, Fred was talking about how he prepares for a game so much differently uh, than other folks do. And, and, you know, for example, during the uh, Super Bowl between the Eagles and the uh, Patriots, there was the Philly special. The, the game went into a timeout, and Chris was talking to us, and he said, you know, I really would like to be able to tell the audience, like, what are the probabilities of making a touchdown here? Of what, are your, what is your win probability if you miss? Sort of all those different things so that I can better educate the, uh, the viewer. And so we, you know, for this season, we built a product for him that he can go and do that. And that got on the air a couple of times. So it's just one of those things where he, you know, I think Fred and Chris and, you know, Al, they're just, you know, really going after some of the things that can like improve a broadcast as opposed to just like getting better at the things that people uh, are doing in the existing space. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I always feel like, Whenever you're, you, you almost take it for granted when you're watching a football broadcast and something happens, and then Chris Collinsworth immediately will say, All right, well, if you take a look at what the left guard did on this play, and it's like mm-hmm. not only do they have all that stuff queued up and it's rich with prep, he then has like four other examples of video clips from if you watch this game four weeks ago and you got like, how much stuff do they have ready that they don't even use? I mean, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but I'm always amazed by, the prep work that goes into making those broadcasts awesome. I mean, I could probably, t- it's probably a hundred pages of prep for every one that's used or something yeah. like that. I mean, it's, it's unreal. And, and the thing about it is it's, we, you know, when you're an offensive coordinator, for example, like your decision to go for it on fourth down is being made on like second down or third down. Right. And if you're a broadcaster, you have about an equal amount of time as well. So when you're thinking about like what the next narrative is, for that fourth down play, it's often coming into your ear on like second or third down. Um, you know, for the that very same reason, I think when we watch the broadcast, we don't really appreciate necessarily how fast it's moving. And as you said, how prepared you have to be for every single instant, how good your instincts have to be when that occurs. What don't fans watch? Because we, we always watch the ball, right? And we're always like the quarterback and we're watching. What if, it, just as far as what you've learned from guys like Chris, what what should a casual fan, if they, they want to grow their knowledge of the sport, what should they watch, do you think? I mean, that's a, so a lot of it is, is hindered by the view, right? So, like, one, right. Of the, one of the findings we have at PFF that, is that coverage is more important defensively than pass rush, which I think goes against all of our sensibilities. And part of that reason is that we don't get to see the coverage as much as we get to see the guys up front. Um, but subject to, like, the the constraints the broadcast gives you, I think absolutely looking at the offensive line, looking at sort of the misdirection that's happening. So oftentimes when you're running the football, you're, you're, you know, you're either running like a trap player, a zone play or something where the offensive line is trying to manipulate the defense. 
and we don't necessarily like appreciate that so much when we're watching the the quarterback hand the ball off or sort of how play action affects the linebackers or things like that are are always you know sort of interesting things that you can look at with the broadcast and of course now they have all 22 that comes out for the you know the the diehards later in the week but even among the broadcasts, you can just look at the offensive line play, and there's so much going on up there uh, that really, you know, I think highlights how intricate football can be. Yeah. Uh, so may- maybe the answer to this is obvious, and maybe, or maybe you have a, a, a curveball answer, but Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, now that free agency, the first wave of free agency is over, we still have kind of a second or third wave of free agency happening, the draft coming up as well. What is the most important thing the Vikings can do from this point going forward the rest of the offseason to help their chances at getting back closer to where they were two years ago? Uh, you know, I think that probably shy of adding players in the draft, and I think that they have to add a lot of players in the draft, so probably, you know, possibly even trading back using some of that, uh, you know, adding capital to get offensive line. Uh, I think one of the main differences we saw between 2017 and 2018 wasn't necessarily the, you know, the quality of talent on the offensive line. It was really the scheme. We saw, you know, Pat Shermer did a terrific job of, you know, getting, you know, Case Keenum opportunities to have outs when the defense, uh, you know, was giving him quick pressure or, you know, just giving him like scheming and quick throws to receivers who, as we know, can do a ton after the catch. So, to me, you know, obviously people like to look at the draft for the players and everything, and that's important, and they certainly do need to add talent up front. To me, it's building the offense to give, you know, Kirk Cousins out when the offensive line inevitably is going to struggle because they're in a division where no matter who they draft, you know, in April, they're not going to be as talented up front as the, you know, Chicago Bears with Cleo Mack and Akeem Hicks and Green Bay now that they've added players up front to go with Mike Daniels. Uh, you know, and even Detroit, uh, you know, that, now that they got Trey Flowers, like they're not going to be as talented as them up front, so they're going to have to out-scheme the other teams. So that that brings me to the question of, of because it appears that the that the hiring of Kubiak is based on a definite belief that scheme will change things. So when you look at this O line right now, and and clearly it's not a complete product, but it's getting closer. How much do you think that scheme can lift this this lineup from being in 2000, what, 16 and 18, really not good? 17, it worked. How close to 2017 do you think Kubiak scheme can just get these five guys? I think I think that it, it can certainly raise them up a little bit. Now, they were already a team that ran a lot of outside zone. Um, but if you look at Kubiak's teams in like Baltimore and Denver and Houston, um, they were running outside zone almost like 50% or more of the time. And the Vikings really do have some linemen who can shine in that area. Elfline's an athletic guy. O'Neill was drafted basically because of his athleticism. And there's going to be players in the draft that I think that they can get value with, not only with their top pick, but also uh, in the second and third and fourth rounds there that can really excel in that scheme. And so I think that they can certainly do well. I, you know, last season, a lot of their issues were they were just simply not efficient uh, on early downs, either running the ball or passing the ball with Cousins. And I think, again, it all sort of is synergistic in the fact that if they can have success on early downs, it just puts their offensive linemen in such a more advantageous position. So I think it starts with the scheme and the quarterback and then, much like it did in 2017, all those other dominoes will fall in, you know, in their favor. Yeah. So, Eric, one thing I really love about Pro Football Focus is 
We might have something we think as more of a casual observer. You watch games on Sundays and you see what's, you know, what's within the TV shot and then pro football focus might either prove your hypothesis as a casual fan wrong or give you additional insights. So with that setup, are we missing something with Laquan Treadwell? Because we sit here and think, what is the point of, like, why are we talking about reviving <laughs> the him? And, no, like, why no. is he still the number three the receiver? No. Okay, okay. <laughs> what are we missing? Like, like, I can take that Laquan one. Treadwell, Laquan Treadwell averaged something like .33 yards per route run one of those seasons. And, like, the good guys, the Diggs and the Thielens are, like, two yards every route they run. And I know there's some confounders there where, like, if you have the opportunity to throw to an actually good receiver, you won't throw to Treadwell. Um, but Last season, what was really interesting was that Cousins threw the ball 47 times to Treadwell with an average time to throw of about 2.34. So, like, all the throws to Treadwell were, like, designed, and Cousins was going there quickly. And he averaged something like eight yards a catch, which this guy didn't make your list, but that would have made, like, Amp Lee blush. And, you know, that, to me, like, I I think that that, you know, Treadwell Treadwell is just one of those guys that I think, like, it's just a loss there, and you gotta cut, you gotta cut them losses there. But they can't, unfortunately, or they won't. Yeah. Hey, I, yeah, I, I mean, amply. You, need, you need you need some guys to block on kickoff return, though. Yeah, that's true. On Cousins, give give me your unbiased assessment there, Be, because I do. I will defend him a little bit on, on this. The Vikings gave him that contract, and, and then it felt like the Vikings said, "Okay, be a top three QB," and he's just not. So when when you examine his play. How good can he be in your mind, and and what should the the realistic expectation for getting the contract for a second be for Kirk Cousins in 2019? You you hit the nail on the head. The, the biggest mistake they made last season was giving Kirk Cousins the um, you know the contract that Aaron Rodgers is, gets, and then treating him as Ed O's Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, where you can basically perturb his entire system and still expect good results that's never been who cousins was and that was really like the mistake that they made which was to you know you know check that box and assume that they were going to be good there with cousins i think you have to run a lot of play action passes you have to you know get athletes at the tight end position his best year in washington was when he had jordan reed uh and vernon davis you know the vikings haven't had a pass receiving second tight end forever um and you know and i think uh, and then, of course, protecting him up front, but a lot of a quarterback. So the interesting thing that I, you know, I, I just noticed, actually, is that Cousins' pressure rate was the same as Case Keenum's pressure rate So in 2017. So a lot of, a lot of that like, stack and pressure rate is like kind of what the quarterback gives himself, and so they kind of just have to give him outs. And, and I think that this offensive coaching staff is probably going to be more willing to work around a quarterback despite – the, his big contract sort of implying that they wouldn't have to um, than the last one with John Filippo. Yeah. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. By the way, you may have just, you threw out Amp Lee. So we started the show today on Purple Daily going over the most underappreciated Vikings players of the last, well, 25 years mostly. We went back a couple Purple People Eaters. Amp Lee should probably be on that list, right? Amp Lee was like three years. Didn't he catch a bunch the of 90s, passes? right? Yeah. Amp Lee was here. Yeah, he had. So I, had a, I had a few names because I was listening along. So yeah, Ampley had 170 catches in three years for the Vikings. Wow! Um, which and and then he <laughs> went on and caught 125 for the Rams in two years. So okay. he was a he was a player. Um, the one the one that I think you know that played with Henry Thomas, which I thought was the best one. Uh, again, the Vikings defense was rated number one overall in 88, 89, and 93. Was uh, Carl Lee? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think a couple Defensive people in, back there, in the yeah. Twitter comments put Carl. Carl Lee is another wonderful Tecmo Super Bowl player. He too. was very good, yeah. though. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Amp, Amp yeah. Lee in 1995 with the Vikings, Warren Moon, he caught 71 passes out of the backfield on 95 targets. Mm-hmm. He also ran yeah. the ball 69 times for 371. So he, he had uh, almost 1,000 yards from scrimmage as their backup running back. It's amazing. I think that's second all-time in Vikings history behind Chuck Foreman, if I'm not mistaken. Well, look at you coming in with uh, adding to the list. Yes. Giving us pause for pause there, Eric Eager. Hey, great stuff, Eric. Thanks Thank for you. coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, Eric Eager from Pro Football Amp Focus. Lee. So Ampley, okay, Ampley came from the Niners where he had played, and was that... Was that right after they brought Roger Craig at the tail end here was, as yeah. well? Yeah, because yes. Roger Craig was ninety three, and Roger Craig was cooked. Right? Yeah, he I was think basically by then he cooked was by ninety three. Yeah. But Ampley came in, so Ampley and Palmer. Yeah, although those guys were playing approximately twenty five years too soon. Like they were good at that yeah. time, but if you put if you put David Palmer in today's game, oh man, it's a different mm-hmm. world now. Yeah. Like he would be he would be a superstar. His I'm he, not joking. His checking account would look a lot different too. I mean, <laughs> oh sure yeah, made some money playing football, but but he was le- a legitimate multi threat player before before I think coaches knew exactly what to do with that type of player. They yeah. used him, but it wasn't the same as it is now. And then, and then the timing of Ampley's career. So Ampley yeah. he left the Vikings before their offense went historic in '98. And he he left for the Rams, but then by the, but the Rams used him for two years in ninety seven ninety eight, and then he was just basically a backup behind Marshall. He was like How their third was, string was running he, back when, when he left here. Does it say on? A- he was twenty five when he went to the. He was twenty six his first year with the the Rams okay. after he left the Vikings. Interesting. Boy, amply. Yeah, that's the, a- the Rams must have paid him. That had to have been the reason why he left, and the Vikings just couldn't afford to keep him. Because they had Robert Smith on the roster, yeah. so the Vikings had to make a choice. We already got Robert so Smith So was that Dick starter. Vermeil's Rams at yeah. that time? So so they, they were just starting to turn the corner then, right, to, yeah. to the greatest show on turf? So they they like sort of knew where they were going and trying to build that up, and, and he must have been an initial guy that, that they were like, okay, this guy fits our system. Because yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. He fit that system. We've got uh, other people are chiming in, too, on names that we may have left off our lists of underappreciated Vikings players. Amp Lee, dang it, I wish I would have thought of Amp Lee. Yeah, I completely forgot about him, <laughs> But too. he should be on that I list didn't too. remember the success. Yeah, he was, well, because... And I was there for Because it. the success that we measured running backs based off of in the 90s, it wasn't nearly as much, oh, this guy caught 60 passes. It was, right. can you... Take the ball between the tackles and grind out a hundred. It was hundred yard rushers yeah. were kind of and, and thousand yard running backs. Yeah, and uh, Amp Lee was was much more of a modern day perfect West guy. Coast guy though. Yeah, Mackie and Judd edition of Purple Daily today. Got Manny Hill hanging out, and we'll go over if you got if you want to chime in on most underappreciated Vikings, you can do so at six five one six four six eight two five five TCL Studios. You think you like football? Trent Dilfer doesn't just really like football. He loves football. This is Spider 2 Snag. Not wide banana, the one he likes, but that's Spider 2 Snag, and he knows what I'm talking about, but using Anquan Bolton as the fullback. Football! Football, yeah! yeah. Football! Football! Yeah. Football. Yeah. It's Purple Daily on Score North. So North, scorenorth.com. Brady goes to Gronkowski, 
Gronkowski had been in ah. Look at that. There's an exclamation point. Wow. Gronkowski. 26 yards. Like a runaway truck. All right. Does, does Rob Gronkowski announcing his retirement today, does it fit within the Judd Zolgad parameters of when you're supposed to retire as an athlete? I absolutely, positively... 1,000% love this move. Okay. Absolutely does. Now He, he tailed off a little last year, he but did, not disastrous. He, nine years in, correct? 29, completely beat up to hell. Now, the only thing that concerns me is his his agent, I know you're going to be shocked by this, Drew Rosenhaus is talking about it, and I guess I think he went on ESPN's Wake Up or Get Up or Don't Sleep In show today and uh, started talking about how... Uh, you know, well, if Tom calls Gronk during the course of next season, Gronk could come out of retirement. So I'm not convinced he's done. But if he is done, this 1,000% for a guy who was still playing well but is beat to hell and, like, his body is a mess, I like this move. Yeah, he'd, uh, he he didn't he wasn't throwing ducks like Peyton Manning. He was he was he in fact the, he went out. You know what? He went out very respectably. Like he was he was good. Yeah, was hurt. Wasn't good. his last catch like the catch that? essentially put the Patriots in scoring position yeah. at the three-yard line mm-hmm. or something, if I remember right. Correct. Yeah. He's also one of those players, and Bill Belichick is one of those coaches, where they it's it's hard if you're a fan of a team that has a tight end or a coach, and it's just an unfair comparison. There's always one guy at each position that's just a complete unfair comparison. Like, when we watch Kyle Rudolph, in my mind, it's always, my God, the gap between, he's fine, but like, <laughs> look at the gap between him and Gronk, which isn't really fair. Mm-hmm. And with Bill Belichick, it's like, well, I mean, come on, why can't Mike Zimmer be more like Bill Belichick? And it's not fair. But Gronk is is that for tight ends the last eight years. Where does he rank all time for you guys at that position? Number one. Yeah. Oh, he, for, he's, for he's, what, he's right up there for, for me, what man. he does. Uh, I, I would have to look before I said he was number one, but he's top five. He's he's, yeah. he's unguardable. There's no one player in the NFL. But there were some there were some guys along the the way who have been. Close to that, and and I'm not saying that Gronk's not great, but I'm just thinking off the top of my head who Tony uh, Gonzalez, you Tony Gonzalez list. back in the day, uh, Kellen Winslow of the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. in the '80s, same type of guy, unguardable, just incredible, but he is top five for me for sure. Yeah, I I just don't know how many you'd have to start with how many tight ends in NFL history were the focal point for defenses going into a game and said. All right, what's their main weapon, and how can we make sure that that guy doesn't go for 150 yards? And it's Gronk. Was Antonio Gates, for at least a while, that type of guy? It felt like Gates' basketball ability were was the same as Gonzalez, which made him a complete pain in the ass to try and defend. Yeah, I mean, Gates is definitely one of the greatest tight ends of all time, but I don't remember, I don't remember those guys completely over the course of like five years. Being unstoppable from a matchup standpoint. I don't remember those guys being the only thing that you should focus on defensively, or you're if and if you don't, you're destined to lose by twenty or thirty points. Maybe it's a little bit recency, recency bias. bias. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Gates doesn't. Like, he, yes, he had the basketball background, but even he like he doesn't seem like the physical freaking specimen that Gronk has been. The he last might have been for a while, but but those guys get beat up so quickly. Yeah. And so badly, too. The other thing with Gronk, though, that I think doesn't really get talked about enough was how ridiculously good a blocker he was. Mm-hmm. He was unbelievable as a blocking tight end, too. Which, and then being that dangerous as a receiver as well. And lots of those guys aren't. Yeah. 
That's absolutely true. But this is now going to lead to, an, in fact, I saw it on an ESPN show already today. Is this the demise of the Patriots? Can the Patriots, and listen. It, it's no longer I'm laughable. Done. It's no, no longer but laughable. I'm, but I'm done speculating about it. <laughs> it. It's like saying, just build your team like the Patriots do. Well, but but let's start counting the things now that are going against them. So Gronk, the, the Gronk was their offensive, Gronk was the thing that, personnel-wise, set their offense apart. But Gronk was hurt a lot, too, and didn't play at times for long stretches, and they still had success. They did, but they didn't. They weren't dominant this regular season. At any point this regular season, when you started to rank, who are the two or three best teams in the NFL? Right. You didn't say the Patriots because Gronk wasn't part of the, the dominant Right, but, but they still put themselves in a position to make the playoffs and win a championship. Sure. They've, they went stretches without Gronk, and I just... It's gotten to the point now where every time we try and say, well, the Patriots are off to a bad start, this means something. And then two months after that, you're like, oh, it's the Patriots again. So it's just so hard for me to speculate on a franchise where where time and time again, the secret sauce is the great unknown. But it's it's not going to last forever. You're not. It's not like Brady's going to be 50. It's not going to last forever. Brady's 41. Sure about that. Edelman's getting older, continues to get his bell rung and get hurt. Gronk's not going to play anymore. I'm just saying. I mean, well, I know, but I just, I'm, but what's going to be it? Is Brady, is Brady finally, is there going to come a, a year because he's what now? 41 going on 42 at this point? He'll be 42 when next season starts. Okay. Are we finally going to get that last year sort of a farve where he gets hurt and can't stay on the field? Because you would have thought that would have happened by now. I just, I think a few years ago when Gronk, Miss because I know when they beat the year they beat the Falcons in the Super Bowl, Gronk Gronk was he was out. He was on IR like halfway through that season. I think a few years ago, it was not surprising to see Tom Brady like overcome not having Gronk. But now I wonder forty one, yeah. forty. I mean he's he's older now, Judd. He's oh no, older. I, I and, don't. And I, and I wonder wake me if, up when it happens. I you know and and then you look at and you might be right. You look at. This suit now that was a great defensive game plan that they had for the Rams, but they themselves only scored 13 points in that game. Yep. And yep. I wonder if that Super Bowl is kind of a sign that it's now like that tail off point for the Patriots is really starting now. Well, and let's go through here too. So, Tom Brady, and this is just you know, some of these are just back of the football card numbers, but Tom Brady's passer rating has dropped three years in a row. If you rank all starting quarterbacks based on their QBR, so passer rating with context, right? How good were you on third down? Uh, let's take away some of the garbage yards. And Tom Brady was ninth in the NFL. He's no longer like first, second, third. Um, his his numbers are no longer gaudy in some of the categories they've been. And, and now he's losing Gronk and he's getting older. Just saying. like I understand that, but they just won a championship. Sure, and I keep and I've been the, the one sitting in this very chair before saying yeah, that that looks like it. It's it. It's got to be it, right? And every time I say that, it comes back and bites me. It's also like so many people want to be the ones that predict that. No, this is it for the Patriots. <laughs> it, is, it is. Congratulations, rem- I guess. It's right. remarkable though how long this just continues. Yeah, it's it's the longest the Forty ers dynasty. And the 49ers dynasty technically ended, if you want to point to a championship as the as the year that it ended, and it technically ended in 1994, mm-hmm. but they were still really good throughout the rest of the 90s, With even with Jeff Garcia for a few years after Steve Young was gone. 
So if you want to give the 49ers credit for a 14-year dynasty with like a four-year tail on the end of it to get to 18, the Patriots dynasty is legitimately a 19-year championship with Super Bowl dynasty. Keep getting sprinkled in. Yes. Yes. It's insane. Uh, before we wrap the show here, just a few other a few other people on Twitter throwing out underappreciated Vikings. I'm just going to throw some names out. You guys react, okay? Hassan Jones and Leo Lewis as wide receivers from the late 80s. Yeah, they're early nice 90s. players. Yeah. I just think of Burnsy. When, when somebody says Hassan Jones, I just think of Burnsy immediately, just because. His rant? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Peterson says Joey Browner. I don't know if Joey Browner is an underappreciated. I don't think list. he was. I think he was oh, a star Joey player was who was very appreciated, though. Oh, yeah. I don't think anybody looked at Joey and said, ah, you know. No, he was a superstar. Yeah. And then uh, Vince says he was high profile, but I always have thought Robert Smith never gets appreciated enough. I could I could see that. The guy that you could put Stay out there for bounds, three downs. Because the Falcons. <laughs> Keep that clock going, maybe. I'd appreciate him more. I'm sorry, I had to bring that up. Hey, great job today. Hey, thank you. Welcome aboard. It was fun. Thank you for welcoming me to uh, Purple Daily, which you can find on demand in the Score North Vikings shows feed, or just go to scorenorth.com. Touch them all is coming up when we come back here with uh, the Twins opener on the horizon. It's uh, Wetmore coming in here. We got Manny. And uh, if you want to find Mackie and Jeb with Rami later on, too, that's 4 to 6 o'clock. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real, you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.